Thanks, Andrew. That was Andrew bringing out my table for me. Once an intern, always an intern. Uh, Andrew was my intern 11 years ago in Ohio. And so uh, we connected again today and I said, hey, you need to bring out my table for me. He's like, yes, sir. And so uh, it's good to know that things I've taught him still held true to today. Um, and I taught him everything he knows. So if you, if you like Andrew, if you don't like Andrew, then I've taught him nothing. Um, I grew up here at Crossroads. Uh, like Aslan said, I'm a proud graduate of Bossy High School and uh, started attending here in the early 90s when my mom made the decision that we were just going to start attending church every single week. And we attended church every single week, every week. There was not a week we, we weren't here. And I would get heavily involved, involved in the high school ministry. And I would be here every single week. And uh, this is something that is just super important to me. I would make sure that, that I, I'd never missed it was a large part of my life. Every trip and every event, every small group, uh, I, was, I was here. And uh, this the, became the, the family that uh, I would grow in spiritually. And I uh, even have a, a picture of our youth group uh, back in the day. And man, look how colorful we were, right? It's a little different today. We're not uh, typically seeing youth groups as colorful uh, in those outfits, but it was, it was the 90s and it was great. Uh, every Sunday night, you know, this, this place uh, was really special to me and really important to me. And so much of my faith actually grew right here in this building and uh, in this room and in the gym where our high school ministry would meet, sitting under the weekly teaching and discipleship of our then high school pastor, Phil Heller. Uh, this was us coming back from a Mexico mission trip. And with some of the best volunteer youth leaders we had and uh, some of my closest friends, you know, this is where I got baptized. This is the building uh, where I got ordained into ministry 15 years ago. So many amazing memories of this place. It's hard to believe that it was 20 years ago that, that I roamed these halls with, with those friends every single week. And a lot has happened since then. Uh, college and meeting the girl in my dreams and marrying said girl and having two beautiful daughters and being in ministry for now 15 years. And I returned to, to the same great church where my high school pastor is now the lead pastor. And some of my friends are raising their families here. And some, some friends I even went to school with, high school with, are elders here. And, and a guy that interned under me is bringing out my table, <laughs> which is great, uh, in my first ministry in Ohio. And so this place is, is special to me. I gained a lot of wisdom here, wisdom that, that carries with me to this day. And it was because I surrounded myself with some amazing people uh, that, that played a huge part of my life. And let's be honest, it's typically the people in our lives that tend to, uh, to play a huge part in shaping our lives, in the direction of our lives. And some people you can choose, like much like I chose the people around me here in this place. And some people you can't necessarily choose, much like the people you're probably sitting next to today. Or the people that raised you or the people that, that you're raising. The truth is our families are the people we tend to be around the most, be influenced by the most, and have little to no choice in the matter. You know, for many that's a good thing, but for some, that's not such a good thing. And honestly, relationships are difficult. They're, they're hard to navigate. And sometimes family relationships are the most challenging because you didn't necessarily choose those relationships. And it's typically the ones that we don't choose that can be the most difficult. 
You know, unlike anything else in life, uh, family is not something that we choose, but something that God chooses for us. And, and that can either make us appreciate God or, or question God, right? I mean, think about it for a second. We choose almost everything else in life. We choose our friends and we choose our colleges and our places of employment and our neighborhoods and our churches and what we watch and what we listen to and what we eat. But we don't choose family. And, and when something has been chosen for us, we become this captive audience, you know, when we don't like our friends or when we don't like what our friends do, we may get new friends or we don't like how our boss treats us. We may find a new place of employment or get a new job. When we don't like what we eat, we go to a different restaurant. When we don't like a sermon or a worship song, we can go to the church down the street. But it's not always like that with family. And if it was, many of us would be in a new family pretty frequently. You know, what does it look like to have wisdom in our family relationships? We're in this series now called Words of Wisdom, and we're looking at wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And you see, Proverbs is, is full of wisdom on, on so many different subjects and topics, including relational wisdom on how to be a, a godly parent and a godly spouse, a godly child, a godly friend. In fact, the first nine chapters of Proverbs is considered a father's invitation to wisdom. And we see many great examples of verses on family wisdom. And many times it says what Proverbs 1.8 says, which is, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching or some variation of that through the book of Proverbs. Or 3.33 says the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. 4.20.21, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. 6.20 through 22 says, bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. 10.1, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Or what about 12.4, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. A wise son brings joy to his father in chapter 15, but a foolish man despises his mother. Oh, then we get to 1913. A foolish child is his father's ruin. And a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping of a leaky roof. It's very specific. 21.9, better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. 21.19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. 25.24, better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Can you tell Solomon had like hundreds of wives that he just keeps repeating himself over and over and over. 29.15 says, a rod and a reprimand impart wisdom, but a child left undisciplined disgraces its mother. Or 29.17, discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. See, there are a lot of words of wisdom here. And we see here that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom guides our relationships that we have within the family and helps us honor God and each other. You might be thinking, well, what, a, what about my family, right? Like we see all these cute quotes around, like hanging on walls, bumper stickers, on social media, like the love of family is life's greatest blessing, or the love in our family flows strong and deep, leaving us memories to treasure and keep. And you might be thinking like, no, no, that's not my family. Uh, not quite. My family is a little more dysfunctional than that. You maybe relate more to like families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a lot of nuts or good moms let you lick the beaters and great moms turn them off first. <laughs> or maybe your family motto is, well, that escalated quickly. 
Or I'm so happy the family's coming over so we can talk over each other at really loud volumes. Someone said, if you want to call a family meeting, just turn off the Wi-Fi router and then go wait in the room where it's located. (laughs) They'll all be there in a minute. But whether you're a family is where life begins and love never ends person, or or maybe you're a family is just one tent away from a full-blown circus person, I think you're going to be surprised at what God really desires out of the family. Truth is, I think many of us can relate to several of those quotes and sayings, the good ones and, and the true ones. And in fact, we're all part of a family, whether it's a biological family, a church family, maybe a family of friends, and our family makeups all look different. Maybe you're one of many kids, or maybe you're an only child, or maybe you're, you're married with no kids, or you have kids, or maybe you're a single parent like my mom was when, when I was growing up, or, or you're single, period. The question becomes, how can I honor God in the relationships that I have? Or what does a God-honoring family even look like? Is there such thing as a perfect, non-dysfunctional family? Well, whenever I have a question like that, I just go to the Bible. I want to see, is there such thing? Because surely if there is, it will be in this book, right? And so, you know, I, I can't think of one off the top. So I'm going to just go to page one. Let's just go to page one, chapter one of Genesis. Let's just start at the beginning. And we see here in page one, chapter one, that God created man and said it was good. Okay, so far we're good, right? And then we just turn the page to page two. And we see in Genesis chapter two that God made a woman from the man, made her his wife, no shame. So far, we're doing really well. I just skim over the next page, page three, and we enter into Genesis three. And we read about forbidden fruit and disobeying God and curses and banishments. And so this this perfect family literally lasted a sentence or two, a couple pages in the Bible, like right here, that's it. And you go on to keep reading and we see jealousy and favoritism and murder in the next generation. And it just snowballs on from there. Then you get to Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Saul and David. And you read about them and the dysfunction is clear. You know, David has talked about being a man after God's own heart. Yet he, he compromises his faith and commits adultery and conspires to murder, which leads to lies and cover-ups. And his son Solomon even, even though he builds a temple for God, is not fully devoted to God and begins to mix the worship of God with the worship of the gods of the nations around him. And generation after generation, faith and worship in God continue to erode. In fact, if you want to see a picture of a godly family, you'd be hard-pressed to, to find amazing examples in Scripture. Rather, lots of messed up families with lots of generational sin. The truth is, much like the families we read about in Scripture, our kids stand in the shadow of our sins. Our kids stand in the shadow of our sins, just like we stand in the shadow of the sins of our parents, the sins of their parents, and so on and so forth. And the problem becomes when we begin to to worship the family as much or even more than worshiping Jesus. And you might be thinking like, no, 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 no. we don't, we don't do that. I'm, I'm here. We, we, we make sure that, that we're, we're part of church and that this is, this is first. But you have to ask yourself, what is most important to you? We may say it. We may type it. We may hang pictures of it up. Or maybe 
we live it, but I, I think this is true for many, that, that family is everything. Family is everything. And while it's cute and inspirational to say, I believe it can also send the wrong message as Christ followers. And sometimes we do our kids a disservice by suggesting that the way our family does things is the way. When we pressure our kids to buy into our family's way above all else, we're communicating that doing anything different than that is wrong. That family is above all else. And Jesus knew the danger of that. And he, he says it clearly in a passage in, in Matthew chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 10 because this is a passage that, that packs a punch. Say that a few times fast. Passage that packs, a, don't do it right now. Let's just read. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. This is what Jesus says. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, some of us, I believe, are trying to find our lives in our family than through Jesus. You, know, you read that and you're like, what? Like, this is not the family message I was expecting today. I mean, here I am thinking that family is the way. Family is everything. But, but Jesus clearly is against family, right? I mean, you just read that passage and you can't help but think that. I don't think that's true necessarily. I think what he's saying is that it is not family above all else. It is not nothing is more important than family. And it's not family is everything. Jesus makes it pretty clear that he is against anything, anything that we place above himself. And let's be brutally honest for a minute. Many of us have placed family above all else. And sometimes even as Christ followers, we preach or practice that family is everything, and we have good intentions with it. At the same time, I believe it leads us down a wrong path because it mistakenly replaces the one thing that should be our everything. And there's caution here to not make our everything over God, to not make anything our everything over God. The truth is family isn't everything. Christ is. Family isn't everything Christ is. And if we know that and believe that, that will change the way that we lead our families and the way that we do family. Proverbs 22, 6 says, says, start children off the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. English standard version says, train up a child, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when they're old, they will not uh, depart from it. That's great, right? If we're training them in the way they should go, that is great. But the question is, what is the way they should go? How are we doing that? And I love what Phil said a couple weeks ago when we kicked off this series. He said, remember, wisdom is knowledge plus obedience. Wisdom is knowledge plus obedience. And it starts with fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You know, being, being in reverence towards God, standing in awe and trusting God and living to bring God honor above all else. Proverbs 1.7 states it clearly. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
And then I love how Psalm 128 parallels this. Listen to this Psalm. It says, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. That sounds good, right? How do we get there? Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Man, we live in a world that delights in airing our own opinions, don't we? And a lot of times at the, at the expense of seeking understanding. First, we have to seek to understand and to help those we are discipling to understand. You know, as parents, we, we give our kids tons of advice and counsel, right? And, and instruction. And as kids, uh, they often feel like it's counsel overload. Uh, I don't know if there comes a point at a certain age, whether maybe it's a, at nine, I have a nine-year-old, or six, I have a six-year-old, uh, or maybe it's two, where they just kind of look at you like, Dad, I think I got it. You know, like, stop with the counsel overload. Like, stop telling me everything I need to do. I mean, maybe some of your grown children are in here today, and you've recently looked at your parents, you're like, Mom, I'm 35. I think, I think I've got it, right? And your mom's thinking like, man, you not even close to getting it. Or elbows your husband and say, oh, you have no, they have no idea what it's like, or you don't know anything, right? You know, when my wife and I, when we tell our kids something or we, we instruct them, we try really hard to tell them the reasoning behind it so that they understand. Like, hey, don't play in that drawer because uh, you could get hurt. There's knives in that drawer. Don't open that drawer and play. There's, there's that. You could get hurt. That's the reasoning. Or, or maybe it's something like, hey, uh, don't lean back in your chair. Why? Because you could lose your balance and fall off the chair and get hurt. Uh, or maybe it's, hey, don't touch that TV that dad did such a suspect job hanging on the wall. Why? Well, because dad doesn't want to see your grimy fingerprints all over the TV. Like, we give them reasoning of why they shouldn't do things when we instruct them uh, to do those. I mean... The, the thing about it, typically our parents, like we have very good reasons for, for telling and instructing certain things. Problem is when we don't seek to understand those, or maybe as parents, we don't do a good job of teaching through our instruction, or maybe we just don't live out what we teach. It's that way with our heavenly father as well. Often we focus on what the Bible says we can't do, and we don't seek to understand the reasoning behind the instruction that God gives us. You know, what I desire for my daughters, what I desire for them is that they love our family, that they hold tightly to the values we instill in them, but above all is that they follow Jesus. No family strings attached. Like I, I hope that we don't make them feel guilty for not following Jesus uh, the way that we expect them to. And I hope that we don't pressure them to do, do family the way that makes us happy. I just hope that they follow Jesus with their lives. You know, I've had some people ask me like, don't you want another kid? Like maybe try for a boy so that they can carry your name. Like, no, I don't, I don't care about my kids carrying my name. There's only one name that I want them to carry. And that's the name of Jesus. That's the win. You see, our role is not to make disciples of our family, which most families either knowingly or unknowingly set out to do naturally. Our role is to make disciples of Jesus through our family and relationships. 
I love what Pete Scazzaro said. He says, the critical factor that most significantly determines my identity as a Christian is not the blood of my biological family, but the blood of Jesus. The truth is, family is flawed. Families are sinful. Family is not the end-all, be-all. But, but, hear me out on this. Family is God's idea. The family is his plan. See, God uses the family unit to make disciples. And your family has the power to make disciples of Jesus, not disciples of your family, disciples of Jesus for generations. As kids, parents are typically the most important people in their young little lives. When they're first born, they are helpless without them. Even as they grow older, they may not act like it, but, but parents, are, they still carry a ton of influence. As parents, it's natural for us to want to, to keep that status for as, as long as we live. It can be very difficult for parents to go from essential workers in a kid's life to eventually non-essential. And unknowingly, we try to center ourselves and our kids' lives and do whatever it takes to stay in that center. When in reality, even at a very young age, we have to realize that Jesus belongs at that center. Not mom, not dad, not, not family traditions, not family vacations, not family expectations. Only Jesus. Whether you know it or not, the family is the most influential vehicle of a kid's life. And in all actuality, family was the most influential vehicle, most likely in your life as well. And it typically doesn't change, for better or for worse, because kids grow older. You know, our families still have huge influence on our lives long after we leave the house. You see, family is the primary vehicle for discipleship. Christ is the destination. Kids ministry, student ministry, discipleship and growth and spiritual formation ministries in the church are great ways to gain tools to grow spiritually, but they were never meant to replace the discipleship that happens within the family. Discipleship within the family was never meant to be outsourced. See, God designed the family to be the primary discipleship, growth, and spiritual formation vehicle. Did you know, in fact, that, that family is the most significant metaphor used in Scripture to describe the church? You even have God the Father and Jesus his son. And, and once you make the decision to follow Jesus and, and be obedient through baptism, no matter what your family ma makeup looks like on earth, you're part of a family. You're part of God's family and the church family. And, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ that, that supersedes being earthly brothers and sisters. And this family has blood ties deeper than our earthly physical family ever could because we're connected not just by the blood in us, but by the blood shed for us. Families and parents, I, I encourage you to leverage your influence for Jesus and his church, not, not for yourselves. And teach your students and your kids to fear the Lord, not mom and dad. Honor and respect mom and dad. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You see, family is the vehicle. Family is the transportation method to a relationship with Jesus. A life built on the foundation of who Christ is and how the Holy Spirit functions in the life of a kid. It can also be an example of the agape, unconditional type love that God offers us. The way you love your kids, the way that you love your spouse, can set the example and show your kids the way that God loves them through their mistakes, their bad choices, and their sin. 
You see, spouses, we have the amazing opportunity to grow closer to God together as well. You know, someone once said one of the best wedding gifts God gave you was a full-length mirror called your spouse. Had there been a card attached, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. You know, I've never been more challenged in my spiritual growth uh, than by my wife. She's the only one that knows every part of me, and she challenges me to be more Christ-like. But also she demonstrates Christ's love for me, and that she does fully know me, yet she fully loves me. And that's the key. I challenge you, if you're raising your kids to worship family, you're teaching them to, 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 it's better to live in the car than to get to the destination. Kids, if you're dismissing what your parents are teaching you in regards to living your best life in Christ, you're stating that, it, that you'd rather wander or, or walk or, or crawl to the destination than catch a ride. And I've seen it in so many years in student ministry. Kids graduate high school and, and leave the church. And, and some will find their way back. But to think of the heartache and the mistakes that could have been avoided had they listened or had we taught, or had we lived it out. Kids and grown kids especially, you have the chance to love your parents as Christ loves the church, you know, through their mistakes and their bad choices and their sin. You know, my, my mom, she wasn't the perfect parent uh, growing, when I was growing up, but I tell you what she did do. She made sure that she was following God's lead and leading me. And she made sure that I had a strong spiritual formation support system here in this place. And that my family extended uh, way beyond our family's bloodline, but also Jesus' bloodline. You may not have chosen your family, but, but here's, the, here's the key, is that God chose you. He chose you to be in a relationship with him. And as strong as the bond of family can be without being chosen, you know, like we, we have to love because we're family. Think of how strong God's love for you is while being chosen. That we have all have this opportunity to be a part of God's family, to love, to disciple, and to disciple in an incredible way. And the head of that family is Jesus, who set the ultimate example of what it looks like to lead and love his children. And that's spelled out very clearly in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then here it goes. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Here's the truth. We're all image bearers. We're all image bearers of God. And I believe there's a few easy things that, simple things that aren't, aren't, definitely aren't easy, that we can begin to do in our relationships with one another and with our families. I think the first one is we need to ditch selfishness. We need to get rid of selfishness. In a relationship, you cannot proudly keep hold of all of you. It's not, it's not possible, nor, nor is it practical in a healthy, godly relationship. 
And if Jesus can make himself nothing on the cross for us, then I think we can humble ourselves in our relationships to point those we love even more to him. I also think that we need to to seek God and we need to seek him more diligently. We need to immerse ourselves in scripture. We need to live out the words of scripture. We need to make worship a priority. Maybe we need to implement a Sabbath day with our family and really explore what it looks like to have a day where we we worship and grow together. Maybe do a devotional and prayer time with our kids, with our spouses. What does it look like to seek God more as a family and not just outsource it? I also believe we need to practice grace. We need to love unconditionally. You know, Jesus fully knows us and yet he fully loves us. And that's powerful. May we practice that same grace with those that are closest to us. You know, in Exodus chapter 20, we, a lot of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. And we know the one that honor your mother and father. It's something that's, that's something that is taught in the Ten Commandments. But this one, I think, especially in regards to family, we may not think about very much. And it's Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. It says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But, verse six, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Sometimes it's, it's obvious what is battling for our allegiance to Jesus. And sometimes it's, it's subtle. Maybe our idol image is family. But it's also amazing to think that the positive, godly legacies of your family can last a thousand generations. That what you pass on to your kids and kids, what you receive from your parents will have an impact that will go from generation to generation. The influence of your choices are no small matter when it, when it comes to living for and following Jesus inside your family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for, first of all, humbling yourself to become human and dying on the cross because you want us to be part of your family. You love us so much that you shed your blood for us to be in your bloodline. Lord, I pray for us as as people that go about in relationships with our friends and our family and our kids and our spouses and our parents and Lord, I pray that above all, we worship you. And that the legacy that we're concerned about is not our legacy and not our, our name, but that it's your name, and that it's your legacy. And may it reach for thousands of generations. Thank you for your love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.